This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Jessica, who gave birth to surrogate baby Rickson on the 20th of January 2018, on the same day that I gave birth to Darcy. Quite the coincidence, but in fact our journeys were very different. Jessica gave birth for her friends Beck and Gareth, and you may remember uh, listening to Gareth's episode number 25 of the podcast, and you may also remember that his wife Beck passed away whilst Jess was pregnant with their baby. I'm going to let Jess tell the story, but this episode is really amazing to listen to, not just because of the, the warmth and the generosity of heart that Jessica gives us, but also the advice and her thoughts on surrogacy. I'm going to hand over now to Jess. So my name is Jessica. I was a gestational surrogate for two of my good friends. Um, I have two children of my own and we are expecting a third. Uh, we currently live in South Africa, even though I am an Australian. My husband is a Kiwi. He is over here playing football. Um, I'm a speech pathologist by profession. And over here, I work in the public speaking space, training space. Yeah, and wow. we've been in South Africa for about four, almost four and a half years. That's great. And congratulations on baby number three. Thank you. Now, of course, this is pregnancy number four. How did you come to surrogacy? Yes, well, um, I had my very good friend, Beck. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how the idea of surrogacy sort of came into it, but um, my very good friend, Beck, uh, just one day was not having a good day and we got chatting about what was going on and she had said that she'd always knew she wasn't going to be able to carry her own baby, but now that she was married and, and sort of had found the love of her life, um, was it was getting to her a little more than normal. Um, and she's someone that I've always known as having cystic fibrosis, but, you know, despite everything that she would go through on a daily basis, rarely had I ever heard that girl complain. <laughs> so I could really tell that that was something um, that was bothering her. And... I just said, so what exactly is the issue? Is it eggs or, and she said, no, it's just carrying the baby as far as we know. Um, my eggs are fine and we should be able to make a baby. I just couldn't carry it. And I just sort of said straight away, I can carry babies. I, I can do that. I've had two. Um, and I think she was a bit shocked. Uh, she didn't really... I don't know if she thought I was being serious or what, and, and she just said, that's a big decision. You know, wouldn't you need to speak to Jeremy? And I said, oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> and that's how the conversation started for us. Great. So what was Jeremy's reaction? Um, well, my little boy had just turned one, and we'd had two kids quite close together, and his reaction was a hard no. <laughs> Um, it was a, why would you want to do this? Why you've just finished being pregnant. Um, you've just finished breastfeeding, like you've been pregnant and breastfeeding for the last four years. Why, why would you want to do this again? Um, and I just thought, okay, that's, that's probably fair. Let's maybe park this for a little bit. And he's also someone that, you know, does occasionally take, I shouldn't say occasionally, he does take time to warm up to ideas. Um, 
So we'd had a conversation and he was not so keen. And, and so we parked it. I said, let's park this just for a few months and we'll revisit it if we both, you know, if I feel the same, if Beck and Gareth are still looking. And yeah, so we just parked it and time went on. And then I think maybe probably four months down the track or something, Beck shared a really cool cystic fibrosis video of a young, quite a famous cystic fibrosis warrior um, who has since passed, but she shared a video of her and just sort of her daily battles of cystic fibrosis. And my husband was away at the time and I sent it on to him and just as a watch. Um, and I think it, it was, it's very different for me because I grew up with Beck and I saw Beck's struggles all through life um, and what she had to deal with on a daily basis with her health that the rest of us don't have to deal with. So I've seen the hours and hours every single day that she would have to deal with, but he's never seen that. Um, and then I think this video sort of sparked in him this thought that, hey, yeah, actually most of us have this pretty easy you know, day to day and we don't think about much else. Um, and here's someone that has really hard day to day. Um, maybe, you know, maybe we could think about it and start talking about it. And so that's when things changed a little bit for him. Mm. Now you're in South Africa, whereas Gareth and Beck were in Queensland. How did it all work logistically with you becoming pregnant? So, um, as you would know, definitely there's a lot of legal hoops that you have to, you know, jump through before everything could be approved. And so we had to talk a lot. Firstly, we had to do some investigation as to whether or not it would be legal um, and how we could make sure that it was legal for us um, and what that would mean in terms of procedures and things and where we would have to be for those things. So we were very fortunate. We had some really good advice from um, so lawyers and the counsellors as well. And they had said it can be legal, but you need to have all the major things in Australia. So we need to give birth in Australia and we need to have the embryo transfer in Australia. And apart from that, um, you know, just we just really, I mean, all of our worst fear was that the baby would surprise us early or something would happen and the baby would be born here. And then I think we would have faced, you know, a very different situation, probably Beck and Gareth having to adopt their own baby or something like that. Um, yeah. So we just, Beck and I are very similar personalities. <laughs> so we're kind of, um, well, similar in, in some respects that we sort of, let's just take this step by step and work things out and, and let's, you know, tick each box as we go. And so we just both started doing that, gathering information as we could. And then we sort of figured out, yeah, actually we can probably make this work. Um, so let's launch in and, and start making it work. That's exciting. And how many times did it take you to fall pregnant? Very fortunately, just the one. So <laughs> I came back, uh, that was one of our worries too, because obviously me being here, adds to the costs um, significantly for them of me flying back. Um, so we had, they'd done their um, embryo collection and they had three embryos and they had gone into 
um, freeze for the three months. And we had worked out that after that we could, you know, get me over. And, and we sort of, we didn't plan this. I mean, we, ne we knew that it wasn't going to work out this way necessarily, but we had kind of hoped that we could time an embryo transfer so that maybe the baby would be born around Christmas time-ish um, if it did work because I was obviously going to have to bring my kids home for two months by myself away from my husband. He doesn't get leave at that time. And it's hard back home for me because they're not in school. All my friends and family work. So we had we discussed that, you know, that we would make it work if that didn't happen that way. But if possibly we could time it for then that would work out really well. Um, and unfortunately, well, it, it did work out that way, but I didn't respond very well. I had to do a hormone replacement therapy because of the timing of not being where Beck was. We couldn't sync our cycles. We couldn't do that kind of stuff. So, um, I had to do hormone replacement therapy and my body didn't respond very well to it. I had to have huge amounts of hormones. For some reason, my uterus just didn't thicken up very well. And there was a lot of time there where they actually thought potentially this, you know, we'd gone through all these legal hoops and, and this huge amount of time getting me ready to, to get this embryo. And the doctors were just saying pretty much, your uterus is crap. Like, and I said, you know, I, I fell pregnant very quickly with mine. They said maybe I'd had an infection at some point after one of my babies, you know, that I knew nothing about. Um, the lining wasn't good. It didn't look good. Um, and we were at a place where we thought we were actually going to have to scrap the whole thing. And I had been back to Australia and saw one of um, the great gynecologists that we worked with in Australia. I'd been back sort of for something else, but, and he said, look, it's not looking good, but uh, gosh, you've come this far. Why don't we just give it a try? We'll up your dose even more of the meds. Um, and let's see. And I eventually got to a point where it was reasonable, acceptable, I think is the word that they said. So I'd reached that point and then we had to have, like five days later, get me on a plane. I had to have five days of, I can't even remember now, um, the, some other hormones and then get me on a plane, get me over there and time it so we could do the implant. And it just worked. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And so many, so many logistics, not for, I mean, normally there's a lot of logistics involved for an interstate journey, but you're talking overseas. How many hours between South Africa and Queensland? Um, so I would fly Joburg to Sydney direct, which is about 13 or 14 hours and then Sydney up to Brisbane. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and of course that first one worked. What was it like being pregnant so far away from the parents? I, I, I don't really know because I guess we had always anticipated that that would be, uh, the way that it was going to be. So I never expected anything different, but it was hard knowing, especially Beck, knowing that she wouldn't get to share in that, like wouldn't be able to feel any kicks or, and we spoke about that at length, you know, that of course it, it's not ideal. Um, and Beck and I would talk every day and if, if I felt something or, you know, I would message her and, and try to let her in. And we had an agreement at the start that I would let her in on the, good, the bad, the ugly, everything like that, 
so she could experience all of it. Um, and I think as most surrogates know, sometimes that's hard because you don't want to complain you don't, because you think, gosh, this person would give anything to be carrying their own baby. So you don't, and you don't want them to feel like you're begrudging them if you know, you're having a bad day. But we sort of said from the start, let's just try and share everything. So that's what we did. I just, every time I felt something or was sick or was craving something, I would tell her. Um, and then I think she would share that with Gareth. Uh, Gareth and I spoke occasionally, but not definitely not as much as Beck and I. Um, so yeah, I guess, I mean, not ideal, but we managed it. Mm. So you were heading back to Australia for a scan, is that right? And that's when Beck became yes. more and more unwell. Tell us about that. It was. So Beck had been unwell. Um, I was due to come back for a 20-week scan. We were hoping to find out the gender together. Uh, well, for them to be able to be there to find it out, really. And so the plan was for me to come home about 20 weeks, and we had that all booked and scheduled. And then about a month before that, Beck had gone in for a normal uh, routine checkup. Well, sort of a top-up, you know, some IV antibiotics. Most of the CF warriors out there would know that standard kind of six-monthly thing. Um, and then she just wasn't well. And she just had, she'd been sent home um, and she just wasn't getting better. And she just said, you know, normally in a few days of IV antibiotics, I would start to be feeling better. And she just said, I'm just not feeling better. Um, and she just, yeah, she just really wasn't herself she, she'd gone home with home oxygen and some, I think, BiPAP or CPAP at night. And I, I really think that was probably those things might have been masking how unwell she was. Um, and then, yeah, so she, she dramatically turned unwell, went back into hospital. Um, and I think I probably spoke to her, you know, maybe a few, a few times after that. Um, she had she had some funny symptoms like she had some tummy bloating and we were laughing about, you know, she's sympathetic pregnancy here. And, um, but she definitely wasn't her normal self. And then, and then she, she got really unwell and we didn't speak again. Wow. So, yeah. um, she passed away while you were pregnant. Were you on your way to Australia when it happened? I was, getting in the uber to go to the airport when i found out from gareth so i was pretty um pretty close to leaving to go but i did know gareth had really kept me informed sort of a day or two before about how unwell beth was we had changed my flights twice um to try and get me home earlier um and logistically that's hard because there's only one flight out of Johannesburg a day to get me into Sydney so it's like the next night and and with the time difference in Australia um, by the time I wake up in the morning it's sort of afternoon there and so it's hard to manage um, but yeah I, I knew she was unwell and I knew there was a very high possibility that I wasn't going to see her we were hopeful um, but yeah we knew yeah that must have been devastating for everyone yeah, it, it was devastating. Um, I think, I mean, obviously for her family and for Gareth, 
losing her, um, that would have been, I mean, you can't imagine it, especially parents losing a child. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, and it was heartbreaking for me because I just thought, oh, we've got so far. Like I, I knew what she'd put into getting this far. Um, so it was, it was, I just thought, oh, you know, I wish she could have touched the belly. I wish she could have just, but, and then I sort of, it was a long flight home. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, was that person sitting on the plane crying that people probably think are crazy. (laughs) Um, and I think my husband upgraded me to a business flight home actually. So that was pleasant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it was totally devastating. And I, and I just thought at least Beck got to know that she was going to be a mum. I just kept holding on to that. Mm. What was it like as a surrogate to be carrying a baby for an intended parent that's not going to meet the baby? Um, I, I mean, it's oh, a tough question. It's very sad, especially because she was a, a friend of mine. And it's very sad, as I said, to know how much, how badly they wanted to have this baby and to be a family. So I think any human being would be touched by that. You know, it's, it's sad. It's really, really sad for that to happen for someone. Um, but I also knew, hey, this baby still has a dad. It's not, um, he didn't have no one. Um, and so okay, he wasn't going to have his mum there, but he still had a, and he had a whole two sides of a family that were, you know, really anticipating and waiting for him and loving him and wanting him. So um, very sad, but also he was like our little silver lining in this horrible, horrible situation of losing Beck. We were going to have a little piece of Beck in the world that we could have never had. So that was nice. Mm. And what was the birth like later when, when it's you handing over baby to, to single dad Gareth? Yeah, um, it was very moving and emotional, that moment. Um, and probably I am even more thankful that we have some of that in photos and videos, that moment because as most women know that have been through a long labour, in that moment, you can't really appreciate everything in in all its glory. So (laughs) I could appreciate it, but not to the extent that I can appreciate it now. Um, But it was very special, like to see Gareth, see him born and lay eyes on him for the first time. And it was a very moving and emotional time. Um, and I think I don't, I don't know how he even managed that. Like he's somebody who only a few months earlier lost his love of his life, his wife, and he's still grieving. I mean, he was totally in the throes of, of grief still, um, as anybody who's lost someone close to them would know, four months is not a long time down the track. Um, and then he's got this little baby. And so I think it was a, just a whole combination of like he was overjoyed at having this baby, but then I'm sure all of those emotions of Bex not here, 
Beck should be here would have hit him as well. And I think it was just written all over his face at that time. Mm. Now, you and I gave birth on the same day as surrogates, which is quite the coincidence. It was amazing. (laughs) Can you talk a bit about something we were talking about earlier, that some people would say that we shouldn't do surrogacy because it's too risky or it's, it's an indulgence that we shouldn't do. Can you talk about your feelings about, given that you went through such an incredible experience and the intended parent passed away during your pregnancy, what's your feelings and thoughts about the idea that we shouldn't do surrogacy because of those risks? I wholeheartedly disagree with it. Um, it was a horribly sad time for us. And... I will always look back on that time as a horribly sad time. But equally, my husband could have walked out on the street that day and been hit by a bus. And that would have been, you know, a horribly sad time. And my kids would have been left without a father. Um, Something could have happened to me or Gareth or, you know, things can happen to people at any time in their life. You can't, you can never live your life. You know, Beck could have lived for another 10, 15 years or, you know, if we'd found a cure for CF, she could have lived forever. And you can't predict those things. Okay, maybe there may have been more risk um, of her passing away sooner than the rest of us. But I I think it's very naive to take that view. Um, And naive's probably me putting it nicely. I I think, truthfully, I I feel it's, it's an ignorant view to have because any person having a baby has a baby because they would like a piece of them in the world. I think that's why people choose to have babies. Um, and, and I don't think that somebody who had a condition that meant her lungs couldn't carry a baby shouldn't be able to do that because maybe there's an increased risk. I, you know, I live in Johannesburg I probably have more risk of dying every day than Beck had of dying from cystic fibrosis when she did. Mm. Um, And we all went into this process and we were very, very well prepared. Australia is, is fantastic on the legalities in terms of how you need to be prepared. We were all prepared for any situation. You know, if any one of us had passed away in this time. Um, And so I, I think that, For me, it's a non-issue. Even despite going through all of that and knowing how that would have happened, I would do it all again. That's amazing. Um, So eventually you would have had to go back to Johannesburg. What's it like being so far away from Gareth and Rickson as the surrogate? So I don't think as the surrogate um, it's too much of an issue. Um, in fact, I think in some ways it might be easier for surrogates to be away um, because you are not bonding with that child or, um, you know, not that I, I don't think that I would do that in any other way as I would with my friend's kids anyway. Um, but I miss, I'd miss being able to share in, in that because it's Beck and Gareth's son. But equally, I miss that about all of my friends that are still at home and I don't get to see all my cousins or, you know, my family. So um, from the surrogate point of view, I don't think it's made much of a difference at all. Mm. And what's your relationship like with Gareth and Rickson now? Oh, it's fantastic. Gareth and I, actually after Beck passed away, Gareth and I um, by default obviously had to grow a lot closer. 
Um, and I didn't know Garrick well before sur the surrogacy thing. Um, so, but uh, in saying that, I think we would have been friends anyway. Gareth is, he's just such a wonderful, wonderful human being. I say to him all the time, I know why Beck wanted you to be a dad. I know why Beck chose you as her husband. Um, and so we have, our friendship has just grown in that time. And he was, my hat goes off to him because he still managed to, in those three months after Beck passing and, you know, leading up to me having Rickson, he had to take on a huge role, you know, in the midst of his grief, he had to take on this huge role that he didn't have to do before uh, and support me. Uh, and he was amazing. He was always checking in with Jeremy if I needed something or checking in with me if I needed something. Um, nothing was too much trouble for him. So, yeah, we've definitely just grown closer over that time. How often are you able to see Rickson, given the, the travel? Well, I see him every day on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> um, so Gareth's really good at posting, um, which is awesome. So I get to follow him there a lot. But in terms of travel, so I was home, obviously, to give birth. And I was home for about, you know, a few weeks after we gave birth. And then I didn't go home again until this Christmas. But I was home this Christmas with my, with my kids for about three weeks. So I got to spend a fair amount of time with Rickson then. And, and he's big, you know, he's not a baby anymore. And I think my kids were sort of, even though they've seen lots of photos of him, I think they were still thinking about this little baby and, and now he's walking around. Um, and so I, I hope I will get to see him at least once a year if I get home. Um, but it's, it's very far for us from here, especially I almost always have to travel home with the kids myself because my husband's leave doesn't sort of work out um, very good in that respect. And with adding a third baby in the mix, that would be me traveling with three <laughs> alone on three flights. It's not ideal. So we'll see. And Gareth has often spoken about getting Rickson over here. Um, so we're, I think now we'll probably wait until he is a bit bigger and can come and enjoy the animals and things like that. Lovely. Do you have any advice for any woman that's considering becoming a surrogate? Yes, I do. Please, 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 please do it. And I say this <laughs> to people all the time. Um, you know, people will often say to me, oh, I could never do that. I had horrible pregnancies and totally understand that. You know, I don't, I don't know if I could have done it if I'd had horrible pregnancies. Um, but for the women that I meet, would say, oh yeah, I had really good pregnancies or I had really easy births or um, I just say, please consider it because whilst nine months or, you know, if you'd taken the whole process, maybe a year and a half in terms of all the legal hoops and all that, that stuff, a year to a year and a half of your time and that time goes anyway, like you're living in pregnancy, it's not like your life has to stop in pregnancy. Um, I just say, please, there are so many women out there that they just need a, a little helping hand and it could mean that they have a family for the rest of their life. Please think about it, consider it, you know, and, and ask people, not, not treading on toes, but when you have those friends that you know do have fertility issues or offer, because people will never ask, people 
I know intended parents and they just feel so uncomfortable asking someone. They think it would be the, the biggest lifelong commitment and it's, it, it's a big commitment, but in the big scheme of things, when we're old, it's like this littlest flash of time that has gone. Um, my husband and I even joke like we totally have forgotten that I even carried Rickson sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, I was pregnant in that holiday. Or, you know, we just, we've, and my kids, I, I feel like they have really forgotten me being pregnant already. Um, so that time just goes. And I look, and I look at Beck's family who lost Beck and they've, they've got this little man that they would have never had in their life. So um, please do it. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.